Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate voices across William & Mary's campus. I'm Lindsay Heck. I'm Eric Garrison. And today we are joined by two campus voices, undergraduate Jenny Helmendaler, a freshman here at William & Mary, and back once more, Hydera Lee, graduate student from the Mason School of Business. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So glad that you're back. And today we're going to be talking about as we push through this last phase of the Mm. semester and start to move towards the exam period, what are some healthy study habits that we can work on right now and maintain our well-being while we're going through this exam phase? Hopefully you've set up some healthy habits right now. Absolutely. But, you know, it's never too late to start incorporating that into practice. It's not. And if anybody's listening to this podcast outside of an exam period, so let's say it's 2022 or something, these are things to think about now in preparation for your, your midterms, your finals, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most, one of the most important times to start planning for your exam period is that day one of class, yeah, you know, exactly. as you're reading through that syllabus and... I'm a really big fan of the bullet journaling technique and then also that advanced planning. So my calendar would include not only like the day of the exam that that was taking place, but also like that week ahead reminder where it's like, this is coming up. Don't forget to incorporate that in on there. But uh, yeah, so what questions do you all have for us about healthy study habits? I mean, I know this semester, I haven't been here for super long, but I know I've definitely experienced burnout and seen burnout a lot in my peers. So I guess... What are some ways that we can kind of avoid that? You know, I think something that we can do is, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, I'm feeling this right now. I think when we communicate with others, when we reach out for help, that's very important. When you just feel that things are a little bit different, you know, we, the Greek word for health that we use is homeostasis, which is everything is in balance. And when you feel like your life is no longer in that harmony, there could be a sign of burnout. So those are things to, you know, typically look out for is when your normal flow feels out of whack. And that evaluation, yeah, and that that honesty element of it where, yes, I'm feeling burnout. What elements of of my participation in X, Y, or Z, like where is is this originating Mm. from? And, you know, that's a question I have for the two of you as, you know, a graduate student and as an undergraduate student. What do you see in, in a burnout situation? So when you've got a friend or a colleague or classmates who are you know, just at that burnout stage, what does that look like to you? Uh, at least what I've noticed is there's a lot of like stress eating. There's also mm. a lot of like that leg twitching, just um, a lot of swearing, <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of regrets about what major they chose. But, you know, once it passes by, you feel much better. Jenny, what signs do you see in undergraduates when they are burnout? Um, well, I have some friends who actually have like physical tics that they get when they get very stressed. So I can tell with that. And also just everyone around me, just we always talk about how much work we have or how little sleep we got or just everything that is just kind of eating at us at that moment. And we just kind of all agree that we're tired and our motivation's low, morale is low, and we're just kind of ready to get out of this phase of the semester. What are some unhealthy habits or trends that you've seen among your colleagues, your peers? Something that I personally do, which is not good, is I will say that I'm going to work on stuff or I'm going to work on a single assignment or a group of assignments the entire afternoon um, with the knowledge that I'm not going to be working super well that entire time, but I'm just kind of like, okay, I'll do that anyway. So then I'll go to an academic building and just sit there for maybe like 
five hours on doing just maybe three assignments that are pretty easy. That should take me like an hour, an hour and a half, but I'll just keep on sitting there and procrastinating it and just staring at my computer screen where if I had actually structured my time well mm. and, and said that I was going to actually have a certain thing I was going to do at a certain time, I could have gotten it done in a lot less time and not just be sitting there stressing. It's really establishing those goals for the study session mm-hmm. and what you're going to be achieving in that time. Because I think the easiest date to break is the one that we have scheduled with ourselves, too. Oh, I see that all the time. Students, you know, will cut into their sleep patterns. They will cut their meals short. They will, you know, skip their gym time. So there's very important things they treat as secondary or tertiary in, in importance. Mm-hmm. Any things in the grad school that we see that might be uncommon or, unhe- or commonly unhealthy? Definitely multitasking. Just trying to do too many things at once, it's, it's never going to work because you should be focusing on one individual subject instead of all of them. Not reaching out for help on time. Mm. Like if you're struggling with something, maybe, you know, reaching out to another student or a peer or even the professor about it instead of waiting at the last minute. Because then I'm sure the professor is like swamped with work already. And so if you're reaching out to them at the last minute, they're not going to be able to help out too much. I love how you said reaching out to like peers. A lot of people, when it's a very competitive environment, we feel if we reach out to a peer, we're, you know, we're we're weaker or something. But it's so nice to say, hey, I'm kidding. I'm having problems with number four. Oh, Eric, I had a problem with number four too. Turn to page 36 and the formula is right there. It's like, well, thank you. Whereas I would have been struggling for, you know, hours or days or just skipped it. And so how do we have the courage to reach out and ask for help? You know, we always say, you know, seeking sensible support shows strength. And so it's a sign of strength when we ask for that sensible help. And also a great element in building community and connecting with someone else and realizing that that's a shared experience. There's some things that we all struggle with. And and it's always good to have that reminder for me, too, that I'm not the only one that's having a hard time with something in particular. And it's real life, too. And, you know, if you think about even this podcast you know, between, you know, Colin and Jenny and Daria and Ben and you and me and, and Brittany, that's a team effort. It's not like one person doing everything. So people who have this, you know, individual piece of I've got to do it all and I've got to do it by myself. It is so nice to hear that people are actually reaching out to a colleague, a professor, maybe even a former student who had the class and say, hey, I, I need help with this theory or this project. That's brilliant advice. And I think that also, like, from that, that's such the value of study groups to come together, you know, sharing that collective knowledge that you guys have developed over the course of time, and what a great way to navigate that. One of the things I learned when I was in grad school here at School of Ed was the jigsaw approach, where if there were, like, a five-chapter or ten-chapter, you know, piece, it would be that Jenny would read chapters one and two and then report back to our group on it. And that's all she had to do was just those two chapters. Lindsay would read, you know, three and four, Colin would read five and six, I'd read eight and nine and so forth. And then that's all you had to report on when you came back to the group, but you slowly got to understand what was going on. The thing I love about the jigsaw piece is if you've got the later chapters and let's say Jenny is reporting on one and two, you're thinking, Mine's making sense now because I'm getting this even better because there is some information. Whereas Jenny might be thinking, where are my chapters going? I see where it started, but where is this going to end? And then I get to throw in my two cents, you know, with my chapter reports. But trying to do all this on your own is really, really hard. Which I, I guess the question would I have for both of you is when you have too many things on your plate, like what should one do to like manage things or know when to take a break from all of that stuff? <laughs> For me, you know, when I think that, you know, there's, there's like, 
And you mentioned, you know, not multitasking. Multitasking gets harder the older you get. There's nothing wrong with doing one thing at a time. When I was a consultant in higher ed, I was, was speaking with a, a president and a vice president once who wanted everybody to multitask. And I, I'd heard about this before I got there. So I had two bags of like sandwich bags. One had, you know, 10 dimes, 10 paper clips, and a pad and a pencil. The task was you had to stack the 10 dimes, link the 10 paper clips, and write the word 10, 10 times. The president got to do each task individually until it's complete. The vice president was only allowed to do two parts of any one task before moving to the next one. And after 30 seconds, I said, time. And the president had one task completely done, whereas the vice president had three incomplete tasks. We went another 30 seconds, time. Now the president had two complete tasks. The vice president still had three incomplete tasks. It wasn't until like a minute 30 or so that the vice president had one task completely done. And at that point, the president done was, was done with all three tasks. Now, that's a very small you know, group there, not generalizable you know, per se, but it is nice to have something checked off and complete. And for that reason, some people will pick the easiest thing to do for the most complete thing to do. Like, you know what? I only have one more chapter to read and I'm done with that book. So that's what they do. Others will say, and I'm of the second variety, let me do the hardest thing, the thing that I want to do the least, and get that one out of the way. Because then when I have the, you know, the little bit of energy that's left, reading that one last chapter of the book will be so easy for me to do. Do you have any, what are your tips, Lindsay? Well, and also got... I was going to say, I, I like that second philosophy too, because to me, when there's something that you don't want to do, the dread of that, that hovers behind, and it's just so freeing to have, have that release. And taken off. And I really think that when you have too much on your plate, the first tip I always like to bring up is incorporating that moment of mindfulness into mm. it. And we have that clarity in your mind. And and that's when it's the most important when you're when you're juggling so many elements. And I think that even if it's just from the walk from your car to an academic building or on your way into the library, having that time to really clear out your mind and help you to really prioritize and, and envision those goals that you have that you're working towards in that study session that you're that you're about to embark on just finding some mental clarity and you know one of the things that this sounds so counterproductive when people are out of time I, I recommend volunteering I don't mean like oh just take time off from your paper and join the Peace Corps but, you know, if you could even volunteer for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, when you help someone who is in greater need than you are, it really helps put your life back in perspective. So even if it's, hey, you know, Eric, can you just help me move the television so I can start packing up my room? Yeah, let me give you 30 minutes of that. When I come back to my project, it's going to look completely different because I've gotten out of that project mindset for a moment. But I've also done something helpful and I can see a completed task at the end of that. So whether it's down the street at your synagogue or your church or the library, whatever time you can, even just a small bit, you know, could be helpful in um, getting your mind and everything back on track. I think it's important too to talk about the expectations. So if you've got a lot on your plate that you're managing, you know, evaluating that, is there something that can go? Is it okay to get a C maybe this time instead of an A? You know, we have a high performing community and while we want the best and highest academic success for all, maybe sometimes that comes in reevaluating our expectations on what we're going to be doing on a, an assignment or an exam. I've definitely noticed that in my peers and that a lot of them will pile on more and more things and then they'll be complaining or talking about just how much they have to do and like 
juggling all these things. And I'm kind of in my head sometimes like, well, a lot of these things are voluntary and are not things that you need to be doing. I mean, the perfectionist mindset, I have that too. And I think that's really common, especially here. But sometimes I just listen to people and I'm just kind of thinking to myself like, well, there are like little things you can do to maybe make it so that you're not just miserable doing things. Because if you're doing so many things that you say you like, then you're going to end up not liking them eventually. And it's funny when you mentioned the perfectionist mindset, I still think of Catherine Rowe, you know, for her first graduation, someone apologized and said, we're sorry, this wasn't a perfect graduation. And she turned and said to someone who wants perfect, I just want awesome. And so that was uh, just a philosophy that just rings true with me. Every time I take on a project, it's like, do I really need to do perfect? Or can I just make this like, like awesome? And so when I think about a paper, perhaps, do I really need to turn in 100,000 pages like, you know, Dr. Kissinger did for his dissertation? Or can I be, you know, happy with, you know, what the minimum says, 75 pages? Could I do 75 to 80? And can I replace that expectation with an intention. So instead of, I expect to get an A in this class, I intend to learn as much as I can and to do as well as I can. The A will probably come versus I expect to get an A. Expectations lead to disappointment where intentions is really about the journey. Yeah, and definitely not being too hard on yourself about it either. Because oh. I feel like that in of itself is like a stress that you're just you know constantly bringing yourself down for not performing at the level that you expect yourself to be. And so if you're able to manage your expectations, you'll be more happy with whatever mm. result you get instead of, you know, bringing yourself down. And you just brought up a good point is expectation management. How do we manage that? Like, I was valedictorian in my class and da-da-da-da-da. I speak 17 languages. I should have an A on this. You know, people should all over themselves. Should all over, S-H-O-U-L-D, all over themselves with I should do this, I should do this, I should do this. That just leads to, like, Oh, just horrible feelings about yourself or your performance, like you said. Yeah. So when we're just kind of getting caught up in what we're doing and we evaluate ourselves and say that we're doing as much as we can and are just trying to manage that, how may we kind of take more effective breaks so that when we come out of it, we're actually ready to go for the next thing? You know, I think about, you know, an effective break is something that it relieves you. you know, breakfast is literally breaking the fast from the night before. Taking that break gets you out of that physical piece, out of that mindset. You know, I think about a question that was asked earlier is like, you know, what does it look like when, when do we know we need a break? And the thing about when we need a break actually is the, the, the signs of when you need a break are very similar to like a mental health challenge, like a depression or dysthymia, where you're unmotivated. You know, that would be something, you know, that I, and Jenny, I'll get to your question about, you know, how do we break? But when you think about being unmotivated, or when a favorite thing is no longer a favorite thing anymore, when you're tired all the time, or you're withdrawn from society, you want to be asocial. When you're eating differently, so you're fueling differently. We heard Nancy Mal and Stephanie May talk about the importance of fueling and training. Your desire to train is different. You feel ill, you know, sometimes. And I think for me, the one I see with students, and I saw it when I was a graduate student here, is this desire to self-medicate. So if I'm feeling lethargic, I, I take massive amounts of caffeine all of a sudden. Or if I'm feeling, you know, that I can't sleep at night, then I take Benadryl or some, something else to try to induce the sleep. Or I drink myself into a stupor. 
you know, that, that self-medication is a sign that we need to take a break as well. And those breaks are the things that would relieve that. So if I were feeling unmotivated, what could I do to take myself out of the situation to feel remotivated again? Sometimes it's like what Lindsay was saying is, I just need to pause for a moment and reevaluate my life to be mindful, you know, to think about the way I'm thinking right now, to think about the way I'm feeling right now, to allow myself. If I had a choice uh, of two things and one would help me heal better, the other would make me feel better, I would choose the thing that made me heal better. So I could eat 12 banana splits and there's nothing wrong with 12 banana splits, but also maybe, you know, um, one banana split and an apple or whatever my body is lacking at that particular moment. And all food is good, by the way, unless you need an EpiPen to eat it. There's no such thing as a bad food. But if I had a choice between something that could heal versus something that could help me feel better, I would choose the heal better, which can make you feel better too. Sometimes it's our sleep. So you have to ask yourself, you know, if I'm tired, maybe I need a nap. Although you both discussed... That restlessness piece, you talked about, you know, friends who get twitches or, you know, sometimes they'll see students just fidget back and forth in a chair. And I'm thinking, why do I have a swivel chair in my office when they're going to wear out the, the legs on that chair? But it's because we need that piece. So rather than fidgeting, maybe some physical training is what I need. A walk around the block or a good swim or if I'm feeling, you know, restless, maybe I need to rest by meditating or... So sometimes it's the exact opposite of what you're seeing. So if your your stomach's growling, eat something. If your throat's dry, drink water. If you're restless, do something calming. If you're tired, obviously find some time to sleep or nap. The great thing is there's resources on like online with the virtual wellness app, you know, virtual wellness center. There's you know podcasts. We have a lot of ways to flourish podcasts that cover these things. And then, you know, we also heard that we can ask others, like, hey, how did you get through your exams last year? Or how, how did you get through your insomnia? So those are things that, you know, we can consider. So try to counter the opposite of what's going on. In a healthy way. In a healthy Find way. Find that sense of harmony in, in the action, yeah. I also think setting a timer, you know, just before you get to that point where you mm. need to incorporate that harmony into, into your body, setting a timer for 25, 30 minutes and and taking the initiative. It's almost the preventative practice, right? Taking a break before you need it and, and allowing your time to look away from the screen, maybe get some fresh air. We have these bodies that generally are made and designed to move and, and incorporating some planned breaks into that practice or into your study routine. I think can really have some restorative elements to it. And you just made me think of something too, Lindsay. You know, the standing desk trend is all the thing. If you stood at your desk all day long, that's not healthy. There's got to be some seated time. Likewise, if you sit at your desk all day long, there needs to be some standing time. So it is that harmony piece of a little bit of the yin and the yang that's going on there. Yeah, Eric, you were talking about the restlessness. I know sometimes during the semester I'd feel so restless yet so exhausted at the same time. And so in the past few weeks, I've found going on walks through the Matoka trails have been really restorative for me. Like I've gone on times where I was just kind of feeling just gross and lethargic all day. But then I went and walked just a few miles in the woods and then I came out feeling so much better just immediately. And that's the Japanese art of forest bathing that Shinrin Roku of, uh, so not only is the exercise good, but the, the esters that are coming from those plants and those trees 
are having an effect on your body as well. And just getting into a new environment. We talked about that Zoom fatigue. When you're out, you know, near Lake Matoka and you're walking in the trails, you're nowhere near Zoom. What a great thing for your eyes and your body. Yeah. And although it might seem counterintuitive, you know, it, it does go back to that sense of harmony when you're feeling lethargic, like you want energy, expend energy in order to get there, you know? You know, it's, I, I don't know why I just had this flashback. I think it was something that you were saying, Jenny, is years ago, I was a RA for doctoral students at NYU. And I wanted to host a Willy Wonka, you know, movie party. And everyone said, Eric, you have all Fulbright students. You have all PhD students. Nobody's going to come. And I said, well, all I want is like some bowls of everybody's favorite childhood candy. You know, I want to show the old Willy Wonka, what I call the real Willy Wonka. <laughs> and uh, I had this gorgeous apartment in Manhattan that I could, you know, host people in. Every doctoral student showed up and it was standing room only. And sometimes we need to go back to being a child again. You know, that, that joy. So there's one thing about being childish. It's another thing when you're childlike. And so I, I'd say embrace the childlike qualities in you and don't hide those just because we're adults now. I also want to add a point to what Jenny said about just the Matoka trails. There's also classes at the amphitheater, yoga, cycling, body combat, all that stuff. You got a beautiful view, fresh air. Obviously, you're wearing a mask, but I highly recommend those because you definitely feel way better afterwards. Any other questions for us about the study habits or... Or questions your colleagues might have, but they're not in the room right now. I think that's really helpful. Thank you so much. And I agree. That was extremely helpful. You've made me think about the projects I have coming up, thinking, <laughs> okay, what could I do to be more relaxed and more prepared? You know, I liked the fact that you did mention a timer, Lindsay, is that, you know, sometimes starting is the hard thing for some people. For some people, starting is easy, but continuing is the hard thing. So just sort of telling yourself, all right, can I do 20 minutes of this? Not 80 minutes of this, but can I do at least 20 minutes of this? And, you know, if you think about it from a learning perspective, um, you forget everything in the middle. That's why phone numbers are only seven digits or 10 digits with an area code. So if you study for, an, you know, two hours in a block, you're going to forget a lot of stuff in the middle. Whereas if you study for 45 minutes and take a 15-minute YouTube break or something, you're only forgetting a very little bit in that middle before you start again. So that would be a piece of advice I have. The other piece of advice I have, and it just dawned on me, very old school, very old school. I'm not a boomer, but I'm close. My recommendation would be this. Put your notes on index cards. Put one fact on each index card. Don't write in your book. I know it's too late for that for some of you. Um, or don't, you know, take notes online. Put one fact on each index card. Take that whole stack of cards with you, you know, for your business class, your anthropology or linguistics class. And as you look at them, as you know the answer, like, okay, the answer is such and such, and you flip it over and there's the answer, or the definition, whatever. Put that in one pocket. The ones you don't know, put in another pocket. At the end of that session, you'll have the things you don't know. Now you know what you need to restudy. It's those, you know, 8, 9, 12 cards. When you've got those learned, put the whole stack together, reshuffle it again, and go through that list again. And you will discover that rather than reading things that you already know, you're focusing on the things that you don't. And you're putting it into other parts of your brain. And the last thing I would say about that being a former teacher 
is share what you know. So even though you're sitting down with a person who's never studied linguistics or has never studied anthropology or business and leadership to say, hey, can I talk to you and explain to you one really quick point about business? And as you explain that to someone else in a way that they understand it, you're putting it into a different part of your brain so you understand it a little bit better yourself. So even if someone is not a linguistics major, teach them one thing that you know and you'll learn it a lot better yourself. I actually want to add a point that you mentioned about the flashcards. So there's this website online called Quizlet that you can basically put definition or whatever basically you want. And it will create like a quiz for you or a puzzle, multiple choice, whatever. And it's basically like a game. So you actually learn, like I learned very quickly from Quizlet. That's fascinating. Quizlet. Yeah, Quizlet. I will have to look that up. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like puzzles, true and false, multiple choice, whatever you want, basically. It will make that for you. And it will even help you memorize things as mm, well. Mm. It helped me a lot in undergrad. And well, I haven't used it too much in grad, but in undergrad, it was extremely helpful. I can imagine. That's a great idea. I also really enjoyed the process for myself from an auditory aspect. As you're reading through a chapter, having your iPhone nearby and just hitting the record button and realizing that you can work your way through a whole chapter, work through all the key points of a book. And at the end of it, you have essentially your own podcast file, your own audio file that you can replay and listen to and refer back to on walks or drives or as you're cruising along around campus. That was one thing that was always helpful to me, too. I do want to ask you both, what is your favorite place to study? Library. Do you have a favorite floor? First floor? The second floor is just, at least for me, it's a bit too crowded with all the shelves. So the first floor is, feels more open. That or uh, amphitheater. I mean, I love the amphitheater, so mm. I go there all the time. That's great. A little outdoor study session. Jenny, what about you? I love going to ISC. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and the amphitheater is also really great. I discovered going there to study like a couple of weeks ago, and it was so nice. And the routine of having that place to go to where it starts to trigger your mind and that habit of it where you have that designated space, I think is really helpful too. I feel like the food critic who's about to give away his favorite restaurant, which can never go back to because then everybody goes to it. I love the law library. It's within walking distance of the school. Many of the law students and nothing you know, against the students over there who are listening right now, but they walk into the library, they get the one fact or case that they need and they leave. So there's very comfortable chairs, incredibly good internet. It's quiet. The views out of the back are gorgeous. And nobody goes there. So peaceful. But find that place that you feel comfortable studying. Yeah, I love the top floor of the library for oh. a quiet place. And then also our local library, the Williamsburg Regional Library, has some great little nooks, both upstairs and they've got quiet study spaces. Or they're a bit smaller. Maybe not quite as accessible for everyone, but definitely some secluded spaces over there to explore as well. And pollen and rain excluded. Study outside if you can, mm -hmm. too. That sunlight and the, the wind, all those great things can help you, too. Yeah. But we wish everyone the best of luck on finals. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd also like to thank our guests. We've got Ginny here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hater, we've got you as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. I had a great time. And we've got Lindsay Heck here. Yeah, too. it was great to talk with everyone today. Thank you to our sponsor, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Lindsay Heck, Brittany Emmons, Colin Cross, Jenny Helmendaller, who is one of our guests, Ben Heath, Daria Moody, 
and myself, Eric Garrison. Mm-hmm.